Hey guys, welcome back to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from the old and press on to the new. I am blessed to see you return on a week-to-week basis to listen, to learn, and to grow. If you are a subscriber, I want to say thank you. And if this is your first time connecting to Recalibrate, I hope that it meets, actually, I hope that it exceeds your expectation. And if it does, would you take a few minutes at the end of this episode to give us a five-star rating and leave a positive review? Thank you so much. You know, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before, but this podcast got started about a month into the pandemic. I had a little extra time on my hands, of course, because we were all being quarantined. And so I decided to do something productive with my time. And so I started this podcast. Several of the events at which I was going to speak as keynote speaker had gotten canceled. And so what I did was I took some of those conferences, broke them down into episodes and created this podcast, which I truly hope that it has blessed you and has helped you transform the way that you live life, the way that you see life. I hope that it's helped you change your perspective. As you know, that uh, this podcast incorporates not only psychology, but biology, theology, and spirituality uh, in order to bring forth a complete transformation, a holistic uh, approach to a complete transformation in your life. Today's episode is inspired by some of my latest counseling sessions. And when I say latest, I mean during the past 12 months. As you probably know, I've been a life coach and counselor uh, for the past 15 or so years. However, during the past 12 months, I've noticed a very interesting phenomenon. You see, before when we spoke about issues uh, within the relationship and uh, pornography happened to be one of them, back years ago, it was uh, very much a taboo and the people knew when they brought it up or when the spouse accused them of connecting with uh, pornographic materials, they knew that it was uh, an embarrassing thing to talk about because if they were, of course, spiritual individuals, they knew that it was a sin. And even as uh, agnostic people that I have also met with, uh, simply based on values and basic principles, they knew that they were in the wrong. But During these past 12 months, during this past year, I have noticed that the theme has come up within the sessions. However, the reaction is quite different. The reaction, especially in the younger crowd, is different to what it was uh, years ago. It almost uh, seems as if they have become desensitized. It has become their normal. Uh, Watching pornography is, to them, oftentimes equivalent to watching a movie on Netflix, Flipping through a pornographic magazine is equivalent to reading a book, reading a novel. There's nothing wrong about it in the eyes of many, which is quite disturbing and quite frightening. Pornography is a non-substance addiction. In other words, it is quite like a drug. It is just like smoking weed, which escalates to smoking crack, which escalates to popping Xanax pills or shooting up heroin. Voyeurs or people addicted to pornography start with soft porn, which then escalates to pornography, which then escalates to hardcore pornography, culminating with the development of some very odd fetishes. Let me ask you a question. Were you born before the 1970s? If the answer is yes, you might remember Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy. 
That was a name that was on the tabloids, magazines, on the news, everywhere. Everyone was afraid of Ted Bundy when he was at large. Now, let me tell you, Ted Bundy was an American serial killer who kidnapped, raped, and murdered in very heinous ways. He murdered numerous young women and girls during the 1970s and possibly earlier. After more than a decade of denials before his execution in 1989, he confessed to 30 homicides that he committed in seven states. That was Ted Bundy. The guy was smart, eloquent, charismatic, and good-looking. He was a narcissist, a manipulator, and a heinous criminal. Right before his execution, Dr. James Dobson was granted the opportunity to interview Ted Bundy. Now, some of you might know Dr. Dobson. He is the founder of Focus on the Family. He is also a Christian psychologist, someone who has written several books, and his main focus has always been child development. He has been awarded many honorary doctorates from different universities for his work and contributions. I'm going to play a short clip from that interview. Listen carefully. Ted, it is uh, about 2.30 in the afternoon. Uh, You are scheduled to be executed tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock if you don't receive another stay. What is going through your mind? What thoughts have you had in these last few days? Well, I won't kid you to say that it's something that I feel that I'm in control of or something that I've come to terms with because I haven't. It's a moment-by-moment thing. Sometimes I feel very tranquil and other times I don't feel tranquil at all. Um, What's going through my mind right now is to use the minutes and hours that I have left as fruitfully as possible and see what happens. Uh, It helps to to live in the moment in in the essence that we use it Productively, so I'm right now. I'm feeling calm, and in, in large part because I'm here with you. For the record, you are guilty of killing many women and girls. Is yes, that yes, that's true. Ted, how did it happen? Take me back. What are the antecedents of the behavior that we've seen? I grew up in a wonderful home with two dedicated and loving parents, uh, one of uh, five brothers and sisters. A home where we as as children were the focus of of my parents' lives, where we regularly attended church, uh, two Christian parents who did not drink, they did not smoke, there was no gambling, there was no physical abuse or fighting in the home. I'm not saying this was leave it to beaver. It wasn't a perfect home. Well, no, I don't know that such a home exists, but it was a fine, solid Christian home, and nobody, uh, I hope no one will try to take the easy way out and to try to blame or otherwise accuse my, uh, my family of contributing to this, because uh, I know, and I'm trying to tell you as honestly as I know how, what happened, and I think this is a message I want to get across. But as a young, uh, a young boy, and I mean a boy of uh, 12 or 13, certainly, uh, that I encountered outside the home again uh, in uh, the local grocery store, the local uh, 
uh, drugstore, the softcore pornography, what people call softcore. Yes, and I, I, and this is something I think I want to emphasize is the the the, the most damaging uh, uh, kinds of pornography. And my again, I'm talking from personal experience, uh, hard, real personal experience. The most damaging kinds of pornography are those that involve violence uh, and sexual violence, because the wedding of those two forces, as as I know only too well, brings about behavior that is just uh, is just. Uh, too terrible to describe. Now walk me through that. What was going on in your mind at that time? Okay, before we go any further, I think you know, it's important to me and, uh, and that people that people believe what I'm saying to tell you that that I'm not blaming pornography and not saying that it caused me and, and to go out and do certain things. And I take full responsibility for whatever I've done and all the things that I've done. That's not the question here. The question and, and, and the issue is how this kind of literature contributed and helped mold and, and shape the kinds of violent behavior. It fueled your fantasies. Well, in, in the beginning, it fuels this kind of thought process. Then, it, at a certain time, it's instrumental in what I would say crystallizing it, make it in, making it into something which is almost an, like a separate entity inside. And that in, at that point, you're at the verge, or I was at the verge of acting out on this on this kind of these kinds of things. Now, I really want to understand that you had gone about as far as you could go in your own fantasy life mm -hmm. with printed material, and you made or printed and video or film Photo, or film photos, magazines, yeah. what have you. Yeah. And and then there was the urge to take that little step or big step over to a physical right. uh, event. And it happens, it, it happened in stages. So that was just a very short clip. Actually, the interview lasted over, well over an hour. Did you hear what uh, Ted Bundy said? It said that pornography helped mold and shape his violent behavior. Now, I want to say this. This is not necessarily the case of 100% of individuals that are exposed to pornography. I just want to make that very clear. Does it mean that because, you know, a teenager has been exposed to it that he's going to become a serial killer? I want to make that very clear. Ted Bundy had some deep internal issues that he was dealing with already. And so he says pornography simply helped shape and mold his already violent behavior. Uh, keep in mind that he said that he came from a solid, functional Christian home. His parents were loving and caring. He had great siblings. And yet inside of him, for some reason, there was violent behavior that was already brewing. And pornography simply helped mold and shape it. He said that it fueled his thought process. In other words, those things that he thought about so frequently, those thoughts that plagued his mind, it was fueled even more so by his exposure to voyeuristic behaviors, to pornography, in other words. He said that it crystallized everything, almost making it a separate entity inside. That's, that's crazy. He used the word crystallize. It solidified 
It, it cemented everything within him, almost forming like a separate entity, almost forming like a separate individual within him at the point where he was on the verge, he said, of acting out. In other words, taking what was on the inside and manifesting it on the outside. And then he went on to say that the fantasy eventually became his reality. What he was saying was that everything that happened on the outside, 30 homicides, probably more than that, those had already been envisioned, those had already been lived inside of his mind. He had already pictured those things happening. He had already experienced those things in his mind. His vision was so vivid that he could feel it, see it, hear it, and smell it. All of his senses were activated within him, and eventually pornography molded and shaped him and fueled him to a point of crystallizing or solidifying, causing him to act out, in other words, manifest those things on the inside, on the outside. Let me just provide you with a few pornography statistics. 88% of scenes in porn films contain acts of physical aggression and 49% of the scenes contain verbal aggression. This is exactly what Ted Bundy was referring to. So keep in mind, once again, 88% of the scenes in pornographic films contain physical aggression. 28,258 users are watching pornography every second of the day. About 3,000 or so dollars are spent on pornography every second on the internet. One in five mobile searches are for pornography. The most Googled word is sex. And by the year 2025, it is expected that virtual reality, VR, pornography, will become a $1 billion business. 90% of teenagers and about 96% of young adults are either encouraging, accepting, or neutral when they talk about pornography with their friends. Just 55% of adults, 25 and older, believe porn is wrong. Listen, teens and young adults, 13 through 24, believe that not recycling waste is worse than viewing pornography. Let me say that again. This is outrageous. Teens and young adults, 13 through 24, these are our Gen Zs, okay? Our Gen Zs believe that not recycling waste is worse than viewing pornography. Only 43% of teens believe porn is bad for society compared to 31% of young adults, 18 through 24, 51% of millennials, 44% Gen Xers, and 59% of boomers. Can you see the trend here? The younger the individual, the more desensitized they have become towards uh, pornography. It has become acceptable or they are simply neutral in their stance towards it. It's, it's almost like it has become another genre. Just like you would uh, search for uh, thrillers or romantics or sci-fi on Netflix. It simply is not as important as thinking about recycling waste. In other words, people are no longer careful with guarding their eyes. Let me, let me just share a scripture with you very briefly. And this was something that Solomon wrote in Proverbs. It is a verse that you have uh, heard me mention many times in previous episodes because it is completely, or it is, it is very important. Uh, Solomon said, above all else, guard your heart, 
for it determines the course of your life. That plain and simple. Let me say it again. Above all else, guard your heart because it determines the course of your life. Well, how do you guard your heart? Well, let me just let me just mention this briefly. I want you to understand. The only way that you can guard your heart is by guarding the gateway to the heart. And what is the gateway? Well, the gateway is the mind. And does the mind have a gateway? Absolutely. The eyes and the ears. Basically, our five physical senses are the gateway to the mind. That is exactly what feeds the mind. And as the mind is fed, there is a direct connect, a direct connection between the mind of the man and the heart, the spirit. So as soon as we open the gateway to the mind, the information is received in the mind. As soon as we open up that gateway, it drops into our spirit. And what does Jesus say? Out of the abundance of the heart, in other words, our spirit, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I've always said this. That if you want to know where someone is in their life, if you want to know the direction that someone is taking in their life, if you want to know what their final destination is going to look like, simply listen to what they're saying because what they're saying will will be evidence of where they have been living, where their minds have been living. Just listen. Listen carefully to their words. And so in order to guard our hearts, we must guard our minds. And in order to guard our minds, we must guard our eyes. And so the younger crowd has become desensitized to this, or they no longer see it as important. Now, if you're a parent, please, please, please listen to me if you're a parent. The worst mistake that you can make is get your son or daughter a cell phone at an early age in which they have no idea, they have no awareness of the dangers that are out there on the world wide web. That's the worst thing that you can do. And let me just emphasize by saying it's the most idiotic idiotic thing that you can do is simply give your child a phone when they are without a need for it, simply because everyone else has one. And so I'm going to give him or her one because I want to be cool like everyone else, like all the other parents. No, (laughs) no, you are called to be mom and dad, not to be their best friend, not their BFF or their buddy. They cannot. They cannot. I don't care how mature you think they are. They cannot guard their hearts on their own. They need your help. And one of the steps is by not allowing them to have access to the World Wide Web. Now, if having a cell phone is a must for your child because of whatever situation, because of after-school activities or because they are divided in homes because they are in a divorced home, whatever the situation may be, and they're underaged and they require a phone, well then, number one, I would encourage you to get them a phone that does not have access to the World Wide Web, period. No access to the internet. There are phones out there that have basically six numbers that you can call. They are pre-established, they are recorded, they are programmed on the phone, they push a button, and it calls the parent or the grandparent or whoever you have uh, whoever you have chosen. That's one option. The other option is if your child already has a phone that has access to the World Wide Web, I would highly encourage you, and this is not a commercial, please, not a commercial, but I would encourage you to get Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes is an app that you install 
on your kid's phone. You install it. Only you know the passcode, so no one can delete it. And basically what it does is it monitors the activity going on on that phone. And so if the child tries to access any uh, inappropriate materials online, whether it's uh, soft porn, hardcore porn, whatever it is, or uh, anything of violent nature, and I believe it also monitors text messaging, if there is any sexting or any images that have been uh, exchanged, you will immediately, as their accountability partner, you will immediately receive a notification, a text message, letting you know that they have tried. Of course, it will be blocked on their phone for safety reasons, but you will still get a notification. And on a weekly basis, you will get somewhat of a report or a report card showing you their activity and it will rate their activity uh, by color based on how you know clean their searches were. So this is a great tool to have on your child's phone. It's called Covenant Eyes. <laughs> Let me just be really honest with you. Um, more than anyone else, I have had uh, in counseling sessions, couples actually put this uh, app on their husband's phone. And I say husbands because men have a greater tendency to gravitate towards pornography than women do. And I'll get into the statistics in a little bit. But so when when a couple is struggling in their marriage, when they're having marital issues because there's been infidelity, and let, let me just uh, uh, preface by saying that infidelity doesn't only require a, a physical being, someone that the, the, the husband has been going out with or having sex with. No, I'm talking about infidelity through uh, simply viewing pornography. That is another form of infidelity. That's a form of adultery. And so what we do is when this is something uh, that is a repetitive situation and the husband sometimes says, I just can't control myself. I need someone to hold me accountable. What we do is we install covenant eyes on their phone. We make uh, his wife the accountability partner. And so everything that goes on in his phone is reported to her. And so that way we start to rebuild the trust between the two and they start to work together as a team, helping him overcome this addiction. Because as I mentioned, although although pornography or, or pornographic viewing or, or voyeurism is really not a diagnosis on the DSM-5, uh, it is still considered a non-substance addiction that just like any other drug is is a hard addiction to to break and so a lot of help is required there's even therapy for people who are addicted to porn if you are the parent of a teenager listen 27% of teens have received sexts what are sex they're text messages with sexual innuendos they could be uh, text messaged or uh, actually images that have been exchanged Around 15% of teenagers are sending them. 57% of teens uh, have accessed pornography at least once a month. 51% of male students and 32% of female students first viewed, listen, they first viewed porn before their teenage years. That is shocking. Let me say it again. 51% of boys, 32% of girls have exposed their eyes to pornography before their teenage years. The first, actually the first exposure to pornography among men is an average of 12 years of age, 12 years of age. So if you have a 12 year old or a 10 year old or a 13 year old, somewhere around that range, 
You listen, listen to this. They could be part of the statistic unless you are on your game, my friend, on your game, helping them guard their hearts. And it's really hard because if you walk through a shopping mall and you walk by Abercrombie and you see their soft porn images on the windows, you have these young people posing for, you know, their advertisement and they're basically in their underwear. Sometimes, you know, other other shops will have pictures of women in their lingerie. If you walk by a Victoria's Secret, you know, right there, that is what you call soft porn. About 11 years ago, my wife, son, and I traveled to Munich, Germany, and uh, we stayed there for a couple of weeks. You know, one day we happened to be walking down this uh, beautiful downtown district and uh, a shopping district with a lot of really nice restaurants and shops. And as we were walking along the way, uh, we noticed a big shop at a distance that had big glass, you know, displays. And as we got closer, we honestly thought it was a clothing store. But as we got closer, we noticed that the mannequins that were in display were actually not mannequins. They were real women dressed in lingerie, and it was basically a prostitution shop. You would pick whatever you wanted from the display and go inside and pay to be with that woman. It was shocking. What was shocking was the fact, number one, that this was legal. Second, what was shocking was that it was in an area that had high family traffic. There were families everywhere and people were just walking by, stopping and looking like it was part of an everyday lifestyle. It was their normalcy. It was it was evidence that they had become desensitized to this. And how does someone become desensitized to something? Well, through repetition. You repeat that same thing over and over and over and over until you subconsciously accept that thing as your new reality. And it no longer causes you to feel uh, awkward or uncomfortable, or you lower your guard spiritually as well. I remember speaking at a uh, marriage conference years ago at a church. The church was packed, <laughs> lots of couples, couple couple hundred couples were in there, about 400 people. And I was one of the keynote speakers, and and uh, of course I started my 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 keynote by saying, "Did you know that 64 percent of the men in this room, in other words, at least six out of every ten men in this room, are hooked on porn? They access pornography at least once a week. <laughs> you can only imagine the look." In, the, in women's eyes as they turned to look at their husbands, elbowing them and asking, are you one of those? <laughs> are you one of those that he is referring to? <laughs> but the truth is that 64% of Christian men, and get this, 15% of Christian women, they have uh, accepted the fact that they view pornography at least once a week. 64% men, 15% women. Now, here goes a, another very interesting fact. One in five youth pastors, yes, I said pastors, youth pastors, one in five youth pastors, youth pastors, 
I don't know what the average age is, but uh, probably think about your own church. Your youth pastor is probably, you know, either a Gen Z or a millennial, you know, around that age group. And so one in five youth pastors and one in seven senior pastors. What is the average age of a senior pastor? Again, I have no clue. Might be somewhere around 40 years of age. So one in five youth pastors, one in seven senior pastors use porn on a regular basis. Yes, you're probably shocked right now. Yes, they use porn on a regular basis and are currently struggling. You know what? That's more than 50,000 U.S. church leaders struggling with pornography. And the sad part is that only 7% of pastors actually reported that their church has a ministry program dedicated to help those struggling with porn. As I said, porn is taboo still within the church. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want to address it. Uh, it's, It's hardly ever addressed from the pulpit. I mean, let's be honest. If the pastor himself is struggling with porn, why would he even address it? <laughs> it's almost like a pastor uh, encouraging people or or teaching on uh, tithing, and the pastor himself is not tithing. It's an oxymoron. It is. It's hypocritical. It, it just doesn't. It doesn't work. Pornography has been around for ages. These sexual behaviors have been around for ages, even before Christ. I mean, come on. Let's talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. What was going on there? I mean, that was messed up. I mean, go back in the scriptures and look at it, read about it. And what did God do? He destroyed it. Fire from the heavens just destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because it had gotten to a point where it had plagued the minds and the bodies of everyone living in that region. There was rape, bestiality, homosexuality, incest, you name it. It was a daily occurrence. It had become their normal through repetition. It was acceptable, and eventually they were destroyed. If you put God on the back burner, if God is not at the forefront of your life, if he is not at the apex of your priorities, then you will live by the flesh, my friend. Let me just tell you, plain and simple, if you feed the flesh, you will live by the flesh. However, if you feed the spirit, the spirit will dominate the flesh. And so the Sodomites, the people of Sodom, the people of Gomorrah, they had put God on the back burner. They had forgotten about God. They were worshiping their own sexual desires. They were worshiping their own sexual inclinations and therefore died spiritually and eventually physically. The devil understands. Now listen, the devil understands that the mind is the gateway to the heart, that the mind controls basically our destination. And therefore, if he's able to infiltrate the mind, he will gain control over the whole being, obviously altering your final destination, not allowing you to live the purpose that God has already destined for your life. When Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Let me tell you, that is God's plan for your life. It is his plan. If you are 
living in his will, if you are walking in faith, if you are living by his word, then he will prosper you, not harm you. He will give you a hope in a future. But if you go your way, if you seek your own purpose outside of God's will, then I can only tell you that you will reap destruction spiritually, mentally, and eventually physically. As I mentioned earlier, I do a lot of uh, relational coaching, a lot of marriage counseling. And one of the uh, themes, aside from uh, pornography, whenever I hear about uh, one of the greatest struggles in the relationship is the actual uh, sexual relation, the sexual part of uh, the intimate relationship uh, due to erectile dysfunction. In other words, uh, erectile dysfunction is when a man uh, has a hard time getting an erection or sustaining an erection for uh, you know whatever amount of time. And so this is always going to cause uh, a strife in the relationship. You know, men who struggle with erectile dysfunction, they will seek medical help and they will take medication, you know, to stimulate uh, their their penis. And, and I know it's a little TMI, so I'm sorry. Uh, I'm hoping at this point that no, uh, no child is listening to this episode, which they shouldn't at this point, especially considering the, uh, the title of this episode. So I'm hoping it's just you alone in your car or on your, on your headphones, <laughs> but uh Erectile dysfunction is is uh, is becoming more prevalent even in younger people. When this was really something that people sixty plus were struggling with, uh, due to you know high blood pressure, uh, due to you know might be diabetes or certain medications that they were taking, and the side effect was you know erectile dysfunction. We're starting to see this more and more in younger people, which is which is kind of crazy. And so, an average age I would say that I've seen in marriage counseling is uh, mid thirties that are already struggling with erectile dysfunction. And so here's what happens. Of course, this dysfunction causes a greater dysfunction in the marriage because part of the connecting process in any marriage relationship has a lot to do with the, the intimate, uh, the intimacy. And of course, let me just preface by saying that intimacy is not only relegated to the actual sexual act, okay? It's not having sex is not intimacy uh, completely. You know, intimacy starts, you know, in the morning, it's throughout the day. It's how you you treat your spouse. It's it's that arousal, you know, culminating in a sexual act at the end of the day or whatever time of the day, you know. And so, um, so just what I want to mention is this: that whenever I come across an individual who's suffering from erectile dysfunction, my very first question, especially if they're young, my very first question is, how much do you struggle with pornography? How great is your struggle with pornography. How long have you been exposing your mind to pornography? Is it soft porn? Is it porn? Is it hardcore porn? Is it triple X porn? Is it, is it, you know, what, what, what kind of pornography are you exposing your mind to? And of course their very first reaction is of appalled, you know, that it's like, I'm appalled by the question. <laughs> well, don't be appalled. You're in my office for a reason. And we're trying to get to the core issue. And once we find out that the issue, uh, that they have been dealing with pornography, we can immediately connect the dots that pornography has resulted in their, uh, their erectile dysfunction. 26% of men under the age of 40 struggle with erectile dysfunction. Uh, 
35% of men under the age of 50 struggle with erectile dysfunction, and then men over 60, 50% of them, in other words, five out of every 10, struggle with erectile dysfunction. And let me just preface by saying, it doesn't always have to be connected to pornography. There could be a legitimate issue that they are dealing with physically and need to seek medical attention. The truth is that pornography rewires the brain. It creates new neural pathways, new mental constructs, not only in men, but also in women. It it skews the way that you see the relationship. It warps the mind. It creates a false expectation. The husband expects the wife to perform like the lady in the picture. The wife expects the husband to perform like the man in the picture. And in all reality, they are movies. They are not realistic. And so male and female alike create a false expectation. Men who view pornography may need to progressively increase sexual stimulation to feel and remain aroused. The use of pornography might change the way the brain reacts to arousal, making a man less likely to feel aroused by a real life partner. In other words, his own wife. The use of sex toys might desensitize nerves in the penis, making it more difficult to get an erection because the nerves require more physical stimulation. It's that plain and simple. Let me speak to those of you who have boys. If you have boys at home, if you want to do your kid a favor and your future daughter-in-law a favor, make sure that you help your son safeguard his eyes, safeguard his heart, to keep him away from pornography as much as you can. Because at the end of the day, Once he is in his own relationship, not having been exposed to so much trash is actually going to be beneficial in his intimate relationships with his spouse. You will bless your child today and your future-in-law tomorrow simply by helping him guard his heart. You can never be too intentional. You can never be too proactive Make sure that you go above and beyond in your efforts to safeguard your child's heart. Repeated consumption of pornographic material causes the brain to literally rewire itself. It triggers the brain to pump out chemicals and form new nerve pathways leading to profound and lasting changes in the brain. Look, believe it or not, studies have shown that those who consume pornography more frequently have brains that are less connected, less active, and even smaller in some areas, specifically in the frontal cortex. Several decades ago, scientists did not understand that uh, there is such a thing as neuroplasticity, uh, which means basically that the mind remolds and reshapes itself consistently. It, It rewires itself on a consistent basis based on what the mind is exposed to. It makes greater connections or it goes into a state of atrophy. You see, the brain is made up of about 100 billion special nerve cells called neurons that these these neurons carry electrical signals back and forth between parts of the brain and out to the rest of the body so just imagine imagine that you're learning to play the guitar and you're playing the e chord on the guitar your brain sends a signal to your hand telling it what to do as the signal zips along from neuron to neuron those activated nerve cells start to form connections because neurons that fire together wire together those newly connected neurons form what's called a neural pathway 
And so think about those neural pathways like a trail in the woods. Every time someone uses a trail, it gets a little wider and more permanent. Similarly, every time a message travels down a neural pathway, the pathway gets stronger. With enough repetitions, listen, repetitions, your neural pathways will get so strong, you'll be strumming that E chord without even thinking about it. That process is building better, faster neural pathways. This is how we learn any new skill, whether it's memorizing math formulas or driving a car. Practice, practice, practice makes fill in the blank (laughs) perfect. The more you expose your mind to porn, the greater the urge. The more you expose your mind to porn, the greater the neural pathway, the greater the connection, the stronger the connection. And you're probably thinking at this point, boy, I'm doomed. If I've been exposing my mind to porn for such a long time, I am doomed. Those neural pathways, they don't look like a trail in the woods. They look like the uh, the Audubon in Germany. They look like a superhighway. They are strong, solidified, crystallized, like Ted Bundy said. But let me tell you, the good news is that neuroplasticity, as I mentioned earlier, it works both ways. It works both ways. If porn pathways aren't reinforced, they will eventually disappear. Yes. Okay, so this is, if you're asking yourself, how do I stop this? How do I undo what's been done? Here here it goes. If porn pathways aren't reinforced, they'll eventually disappear. So the same brain mechanisms that lay down the pathways for porn can replace them with something else. If that trail that's in the woods that was established by people walking over it for such a long time, if that trail is shut down, if it is closed, eventually erosion, the rain, the wind will cause that trail to disappear over time because it's not being used. And perhaps you've created in the woods another pathway that leads to a different destination. That's the way the mind works. Don't walk over that thing. Don't reinforce that thing. So you've got to safeguard your mind. You've got to safeguard your mind even from people talking about porn. You know, Gandhi said, never let anyone with dirty feet walk through your mind. Why would you? The mind is such a precious thing that we need to guard because, as I mentioned, it is the gateway to the heart. A grandfather was sitting at a campfire with his grandson, and as they sat there, he was sharing wisdom with his grandson, and he went on to explain to him that in the mind of every individual, there are two wolves. One of the wolves is spirit-filled. It is the wolf that operates in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and listen self-control. He says the other wolf operates in strife, anger, resentment, sexual desires, flesh, emotions, uh, unforgiveness. The little boy listened to the story. The grandfather said, these two wolves are in the minds of every individual and they are constantly fighting against each other since they are opposing forces. They are polarized forces. They're constantly battling, constantly quarreling, constantly fighting to gain control. The little boy staring at his grandfather said, Grandpa, 
Which one of the two wolves wins at the end? The grandfather answered, The one that you feed the most. That is the one that will take over. Which of those wolves are you feeding today? Listen, whatever your situation is today, I want to remind you that our God is a forgiving God. He's a loving God. He's a God of the second chance. He's a God of restoration. He's a God that gives us new life. He doesn't mend the broken pieces. He makes all things brand new. If you have been dealing with pornography, no matter how long it's been, there are no impossibles for God. He can take you right where you're at. He accepts you right where you are at. He accepts you just as you are. He just doesn't want to see you stay there forever. He wants to take you from one glory to another glory. The first step, the first step is to confess your sin. The Bible says, confess your sins to one another and you shall be healed. The enemy wants you to hold it in. The enemy wants you to encapsulate it in your heart because he knows that if you do so, it will start to deteriorate you to the point of destroying you, to the point of killing you. But once you release it and you share that with someone else, the enemy will no longer have a hold on you once you confess your sin. Jesus said, if you confess your sins, your Father is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There are no ifs, ands, or buts. All unrighteousness is forgiven in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. Today, today is your day. Today is a day that you can break free. Start to create new neural pathways, but you can only do that through a heart that has been restored, a heart that has been redeemed, a heart that has been renewed. The Apostle Paul said, don't conform to the ways of the world. Don't be like everyone. Don't do what everyone else is doing. Don't expose your minds to what other people are exposing their minds to. He says, don't conform to the ways of the world because you are not of this world. He says, therefore, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve God's perfect, pleasing, and good will for your life. God's will for you is good. My friend, if you're struggling with this today and it's ruining your life, don't encapsulate it. Don't withhold it. Speak to somebody. Share your struggles with someone. Have someone Stand in agreement with you and pray a prayer of faith. But above all, seek professional help if it is something that you've been dealing with for a long time. I hope this episode has helped you gain greater understanding. I hope it helps you if you're the one dealing with it, if you're the one struggling with it. I hope it helps you help others. Don't forget to share this episode with other people. Share the love. It might be the defining factor that brings transformation into the life of a friend or a family member. 
Share the love. Don't hoard it. Become a river. Don't be a reservoir. If you need help, don't hesitate. Send me a message through Instagram. I'm quick to respond. If you need to meet, you can find my link attached to the show notes. You can schedule a time, a session to meet virtually. We can talk about your issue. If you need prayer, I'm there for you. But don't hesitate to seek help. I'll be thinking about you and praying for you. I'll see you next week once again on Recalibrate. I love you, love you, love you in Christ. God bless you guys.